с милой шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И при виде их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB Podcast, where each week we cover topics relating to Eurasian politics, history, and society. I'm your host, Sean Guillory. Just one guest today, Paul Stronsky on Uzbekistan. Paul Stronsky is a senior associate in Carnegie's Russia and Eurasia program, where his research focuses on the relationship between Russia and neighboring countries in Central Asia and the South Caucasus. He is the author of Tashkent, Forging a Soviet City, 1930 to 1966. Why don't we start with some uh, like a general overview of uh, post-Soviet uh, Uzbekistan? Um, how, how does Uzbekistan's post-Soviet history compare to its Central Asian neighbors? Well, you know, in in some ways, it's it's um, I don't want to say it's it's unique. Uh, it shares some of the same problems of many of its Central Asian neighbors, um, uh, and it has avoided some of these you know horrific pitfalls that uh, a place like Tajikistan, which fell into civil war in the nineteen 19- um, has seen. Uh, Uzbekistan was, you know, involved in that. There was an Uzbek uh, population living um, in uh, Tajikistan, and, and they did, you know, intervene along with Russians. Um, so, you know, it, it hasn't fallen in the, the pitfalls. I mean, um, Turkmenistan has pretty pretty much become a hermetically sealed state. Uh, it has. Um, uh, you know, officially declared that it wants to be neutral, uh, and it hasn't been able to have the same sort of uh, uh, sort of multi-vector ability to sort of balance its relations, um, and it's been you know a, a very closed society. Uzbekistan isn't hasn't been as closed, um, but it's certainly not as open as some place like Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan. So um, I, you know, I think it has avoided some of the, the pitfalls, uh, the instability that we've seen in Kazakhstan. I've seen it, sorry, in Kyrgyzstan and in Tajikistan. Um, and those pitfalls have basically you know, repeated instances of instability, either civil war or you know um, ethnic violence or um, uh, or um, you know repeated uh, overthrows of, of governments in Kyrgyzstan. Um, you know, one of the reasons for that it it, it has a much stronger state, uh, much stronger in, um, infrastructure. The only one that I think is is similar would be Kazakhstan. Um, and and uh, Kazakhstan is a little different uh, in that Kazakhstan actually has um, uh, uh, much greater supplies of, of energy, particularly you know oil. Um, so uh, it has been able to sort of be much more open to the world. Um, has garnered a lot more a um, lot more economic interest than a, a place like um, like uh, Uzbekistan has. Um, and and how how has this kind of the the process we hear a lot about, especially in the 1990s and post-Soviet states, in terms of privatization and the building of a new elite? How did that uh, work out in in, in Uzbekistan? Uh, well, it it hasn't really worked out. Um, uh, uh, in other places in the former Soviet Union, there was massive privatization. Uh, in Uzbekistan, it's still pretty much a top-down command economy, so not all that. From from before, uh, and this makes you know. Um, uh, I know you're interested in sort of elite politics. This makes elite politics in in uh, Uzbekistan a slightly different than a place in like Russia or or um, Kazakhstan, uh, because in both of those places, the sort of the economic activity and economic prospects have you know created a larger um, created almost a business elite that actually has a has a component and has a has a, a stake in in. Um, uh, in the political trajectory um, uh, and 
uh, of the country. And in Uzbekistan, we don't really have that. It's much more, um, you know, there's an old clan structure uh, that you know had sort of been fused into the Communist Party in, in the in the Soviet uh, era. Uh, that still somewhat uh, exists, but you also have it's much more of a bureaucratic elite that. Uh, the country, so it's various different ministries and their political, um, uh, their political and commercial power, uh, the security services, um, you know, some regional actors as well. So um, it's not as broad based um, uh, as some of its its neighbors, and that is uh, both because uh, it doesn't have some of the resources. I mean, it has it has you know uh, gas, it has cotton, it's got got uh, gold, but it doesn't have. Um, uh, you know the 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 resources that a Azerbaijan a, a Kazakhstan has, uh, and so uh, in, in those places um, uh, they have a much larger business um, sector, and that business sector tends to be a little bit more outward looking, uh, and we don't have the same sort of you know Western oriented uh, c- you know consistency uh, or contingent contingent inside. Um, uh, you know, the Uzbek political and economic elite like you would have in, in a Russia or, or a Kazakhstan. Hmm. That, that's really interesting that that kind of process of privatization that happened pretty much everywhere else didn't really occur there. Yeah, I mean, things were privatized, but it's, you know, it's still t- top down and, and it was a lot more, you know, uh, you had to be connected in order to sort of get the power. But it, it is it is it's still, you know, still a, a sort of top down economy. Now, Uzbek President Islam Karimov has, has ruled the country since 1990, and he was recently re-elected last week with more than 90% of the vote. And of course, nobody was surprised by this election. I mean, most people said it was a foregone conclusion who was going to win. Um, since these le- elections are, are merely performances, what's the source and nature of Karimov's power? I mean, I think it's got got some. I mean, one is the sheer fact that he's been in power for so long. Um, uh, you know, he was uh, he's been very effective at sort of consolidating um, um, uh, rule uh, and also building up a very uh, very capable um, security services that uh, you know he's willing to use um, against people who criticize him against any sort of um, potential instability. So that you know is what is one um, area, and I would say. Um, uh, you know, somebody like Vladimir Putin also has a very capable security service uh, as well. But you know, there, there's, there's much more of a, a you know economic um, and, and an improvement of standard living. In in Central Asia, we haven't really seen a you know, a, uh, you know the standard of living has not improved for everyone. Um, uh, and in some areas, the social safety net has you know c- collapsed, um, uh, particularly outside of Tashkent. Um, it also is highly corrupt. Uh, so, um, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the, the sort of the modern things that the, the, the good things that the Soviet, Soviet era, you know, healthcare, um, good education system, some of that has sort of, has sort of, um, uh, uh diminished. Um, but you know, in what he has been able to do, um, is, you know, he builds his, his legitimacy. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it, it, we, you know, we don't really know. There's no good, um, you know, popularity and, and opinion polling coming out of Uzbekistan. So we really don't know what his real, his real popularity is. Um, but, you know, people, I would not say that he's, he's necessarily unpopular. Uh, he's popular uh, for a couple reasons. One, um, he's been there for so long and there's no real alternative. Uh, there's no other one, um, you know, there's there's no Alexei Navalny, there's nobody else uh, out there, and there's no even you know really clear, capable, um, and obvious uh, successor. Um, uh, and he was also very good at at sort of acquiring um, and you know retooling nationalism to uh, to sort of hold up and and to solidify that that legitimacy. And he really did reinvent himself as 
um, as a nationalist after the collapse of the Soviet Union. He sort of had to do that because he was, you know, um, if, if, you know, we should recall that it was the Central Asian republics that really weren't at the forefront of, of sort of pulling down the Soviet Union. And uh, Karimov was one of the... Um, uh, you know, leaders of one of the republics that actually backed the coup. So he quickly um, uh, realized that he had backed the wrong horse, um, and you know, within uh, you know just about ten days, had uh, you know declared Uzbekistan uh, independent. And then um, you know, they, he presents himself as sort of the father of the nation, who you know fulfilled this you know centuries-long striving to. Um, to uh, gain independence, you know, unite the Uzbek people, um, and he's the one who did it. Um, uh, and so um, uh, that's that's definitely there. Uh, another uh, thing that I think uh, he has and he uses quite effectively, um, you know, they, he dances around the Soviet era because the Soviet era, I mean, it was a time of, of occupation. It was a time of, of um, uh, you know, horrific violence. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it also brought some benefits. It brought universal literacy. It brought modern infrastructures. It brought um, secularization, um, uh, which he's a strong proponent of. Um, and so, you know, they have to, they have to, um, and, and he, you know, a lot of, uh, of that infrastructure is, uh, uh, what separates, um, uh, Uzbekistan from the chaos, you know, in, in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Um, and so, you know, he, there, there is a lot of talk about, about he's the guy who brought stability. He's the guy who ensures stability. And all you need to do is, is, you know, look across the border. Um, and that's sort of a frightening, um, uh, uh, a frightening prospect, and it, it clearly was. You know, um, you know the the, the you know, early years of the post-Soviet era. You know, it, it was there, but once the Taliban seized Kabul, it definitely was something that they could use. Um, and then after 9/11, very effectively used used um, you know uh, instability from the south um, and his ability to to sort of promote uh, you know harmony and 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 a strong state um, and protect the population from that is is something that he's used quite effectively. Yeah, I want to talk about the the role of Islam and Islamic radicalism, how that's used later in the interview. But first, um, there there of course will be a succession eventually, very soon. Uh, Karimov is seventy seven years old; he's rumored to be ill and feeble. Uh, what signs do you see of a succession struggle already taking place, and and who are some of the players? Well, I think um, uh, you know, I think we should. Um... Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about the election that we just had was not the fact that he won 90%. Um, it's the, uh, a lot of the things that sort of happened uh, on the, on the, um, uh, around that election. Um, you know, for one, um, uh, it's happening during a time of sort of economic uncertainty for Uzbekistan. Um, and uh, another is it's, it's happening in the backdrop of a very unpleasant uh, sort of scandal within the Karimov family where uh, his daughter, uh, uh, oldest daughter, Gulnara, uh, who um, uh, is, I think she's about 42 years old, uh, she was probably the most powerful woman in Central Asia, def- definitely the most powerful woman in Uzbekistan. She sort of controlled the telecom sector. She created, reinvented herself as a pop star. Um, and I would encourage anyone to go look for uh, who called herself Gugusha. People should look at her videos online. Uh, they're really... Um, they're um, uh, quite interesting to sort of see. Uh, she wasn't quite loved by the Uzbek people because she was seen as very corrupt. Um, and she, uh, there's a, another um, uh, a great uh, expose um, that is out by a, uh, a corruption um, uh, organization based in Bosnia that sort of uh, exposes her, the extent of her corruption. You know, claiming that she's she's stolen um, uh, or illicitly pocketed. Uh, 
uh, up to about a billion dollars from uh, you know the telecom sector, and that that I think is kind of interesting because you know it shows that you know even in a you know this is not a uh, oil dependent economy, but you can still um, you know corruption is, is such a problem that you can there's that much money to get um, if you are powerful enough uh, to do that. Um, but she's sort of been taken down um, a couple notches. Uh, she's right now in. Um, uh, 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 under house arrest in, in the country. Um, there's uh, been a sort of a family split. She's come out and criticized her sister, um, uh, Lola, her, her younger sister, who has her own little business empire of herself, and it seems like the, the mother of the Karimov family has, has sided with uh, the, the other sister. Um, and uh, Gulnara Karimova has also um, uh, you know, come out and, and sort of claimed that her downfall, um, her business empire has been taken apart, the people who she used to work for and some of the people who enriched themselves around her, they actually have, have you know, cases going on against them. She hasn't yet been charged, um, uh, although it looks like, um, you know, various European um, entities and the United States uh, might be doing that. The, the U.S. asked, um, I believe it was the Swedish government yesterday, to freeze some assets that look like that, that is related to some of her, her corruption. Um, uh, but she sort of claims that the... Um, uh, you know, her, her downfall is part of a succession struggle. Um, uh, she specifically pointed, you know, she's complained about her sister, she's complained about her mother, uh, and she's also complained uh, that the security chief, Rustam Inoyatov, uh, who uh, has been there for a long time, he is a very powerful man, um, uh, is, uh, you know, has her, has her father's ear and has turned, you know, uh, uh, his, you know the father against her. Um, you know, I think as long as, you know, he's, um, uh, you know, there's no uh, actual, you know, real case, you know, you know, criminal case, you know, posed against her. I mean, you know, I think if that happens, it, it really does question um, how much control um, uh, is there by the, the Karimov family. I mean, you can toss the daughter in, 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 um, uh, in uh, uh, under house arrest, but, it, you, know, it, you know, will they take it another step further? I think that would be an interesting sign if, if that happens. Um, uh, and so I think just this whole fighting over um, uh, over her assets, her you know spectacular downfall that has been sort of leaked out into the Western press. It's leaked out, you know, in Central Asian um, uh, blogosphere uh, and uh, throughout the rumor mill. Um, this is a country that does not have. Um, uh, uh, a free media, so um, uh, and it does have you know various types of internet restrictions. So you know one of the main ways of, of conveying information is through is through rumor and speculation, and and so you know I think that is it adds a little bit of uncertainty because um, uh, we really don't know what's going on. Uh, but the signs of of you know her being taken down a couple of notches um, and you know her assets being stripped. Um, you know, indicates that you know she was at one point considered a contender, and um, it's unlikely that's that's going to happen. Um, there's another person, the prime minister, who could be um, uh, also a contender. Uh, the um, uh, uh, in 2014, so about a year ago, they sort of made some uh, changes to the constitution that gave more power. Uh, to the parliament and more power to the prime minister, particularly over sort of social and economic issues, uh, not necessarily foreign policy. Um, and there was speculation that time that that you know they were he was going to try to groom um, uh, the prime minister, um, who is a possibly. I mean, nobody in the Uzbek government is Western oriented, but he seems to be a little bit more. Um, um, it would be slightly more acceptable to Western states uh, than uh, the head of the security, uh, uh, or you know, uh, uh, you know, someone like Ulnara, who who is uh, uh, extremely corrupt. Um, uh, 
you know, so it, it, it's, you know, we really don't know. And, and we don't know, um, you know, Karimov ha- has long been, been rumored to be ill and feeble. He's still hanging around. Um, he did disappear for about three months, th- uh, three weeks, I'm sorry, this earlier in February. Uh, and, you know, nobody seemed to notice um, uh, in the West. People noticed in Uzbekistan, and it's, it's um, you know, it raises questions over, you know, where was he? Um, and, you know, I have no, no idea, uh, but it does... Um, uh, Create uh, a lot of questions, um, and it you know it, I think this uncertainty you know, we're facing a similar type of uncertainty in in um, in Kazakhstan where President Nazarbayev I think he's uh, seventy years old, um, but this is a time where you know the entire sort of Central Asia and all of Eurasia uh, in general is in flux. It's in flux because of um, you know Central Asia is because of the U.S. drawdown out, out of Afghanistan. It's in flux because of of the, the Russian war um, uh, against uh, uh, against Ukraine uh, and concerns of you know what sort of Russian machinations uh, they're going to do in 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 there um, and the 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 problems in the Russian economy which do trickle back. Uzbekistan and it trickled back into Central Asia as a whole. Um, it is a little bit um, protected um, from you know the fall in oil prices, um, but you know the the, the what it has, um, cotton, gold, um, those prices are also down, um, and a large chunk, um, at least three million, possibly a lot more, uh, Uzbeks live in Russia and work in Russia and send remittances back uh, and. Um, uh, work is drying up there. Remittances are likely going to go down. Uh, unclear whether Uzbeks will come back in, in large numbers, but um, you know they could. Uh, and that's a uh, you know so so you know if this if this you know the Ukraine crisis and the and the sort of the global uh, the, the economic slowdown in Russia and in Central Asia as a whole you know continues, you know this succession could probably not happen at a worse time um, for you know for figuring out you know what's going to go. Um, Go later. I mean, there, another thing that I think, you know, when, um, you know, I've sort of been looking at former Soviet states for quite a while, and, and it's always, these states look always very stable until one day when they're not, and the leader is gone. And, you know, uh, in times of economic trouble, you do see, you know, increasing greed among, you know, political elites. And, and so, you know, some of this infighting, you know, could be could be a sign that, you know, they're aware of, of you know, the spoils um, are, are getting smaller, and it's, it's harder to... Um, uh, to keep everyone in line, and so that you know, it, it could be a sign of, of you know, um, you know, economic figures just you know, just like polling figures are, are are inaccurate and not reliable in Uzbekistan. So we really have no good sense of of, of the economy and, and how it's doing. But you know, things like what's happening with Gulnara um, and, and stripping away her her um, her assets, you know, to me, I think uh, suggests that things you know could be uh, you know worse than 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 uh, most people most people think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the picture you've painted is definitely you have this really strong state that's kind of kept the lid on things for the last 25 years or so, but it's actually quite a fragile system in many respects. It is. And, and you know, um, uh, you know, one of the things that I think, um, uh, you know, I've used this, this, um, this analogy before, but, but Uzbekistan is, is just like many of the other former um, Soviet states, but particularly, you know, one with, with such a strong leader, it's a, it's a, it's a political system that is not built on institutions. Uh, it is on on personalities and competing interest groups, um, and so that means you know when there is a big unexpected change, it's not quite sure how uh, the political system will will respond to that. Um, and I think if you compare um, now, Poland is quite different for many reasons, but it does have you know a post-socialist um, you know legacy. And you compare that to uh, you know what we've seen happen in Poland, where an entire government was killed in a plane crash, and it was just a blip on the screen of the Polish. You know they had deputies who stepped up and 
you know, they, you know, it, it, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, it was traumatic, probably, um, uh, for polls to sort of go through that. But uh, as far as the government running and as far as long-term political stability, um, uh, institutions had been built and they were strong enough that they could withstand that, you know, only, you know, what I think happened, you know, uh, you know, eight, less than 20 years after the collapse of, of, um, of, of communism, or about 20 years after, um, and we don't see any of those types of institutions uh, taking root, you know, uh, in many countries of the former Soviet Union, but particularly in a place like like uh, Uzbekistan. Yeah, and in particular, I mean, Uzbekistan is recognized as one of the most repressive countries, um, and, and and I mean, it's just horrible things, not just the destruction of society, but you have, you know, instances of forced labor, you have a forced sterilization program of women, of course, the Andijan massacre in 2005. Uh, how has this affected the, the ability of kind of building these institutions and in Uzbek society? And what do we know how this repression plays out in Uzbek society in general? Well, you know, I think it's it's um, uh, you know it's it's definitely uh, you know I think we, we need to remember that that people you know d- even in oppress- uh, oppressive uh, rep- repressive places you know they still have a normal life they still you know go and celebrate you know, bit, you know birthdays and and uh, you know go to the movies and that type of stuff if they can afford it. So you know, on on, on the surface, you know, when you walk through Tashkent, when you walk through other places, you might not see. Um, um, uh, you know the uh, the average person might not see you know, the level of, of repression, but there is um, uh, you know definitely large police uh, and security service presence uh, out there. A lot of these people are corrupt. So in addition to the rep- the, the actual per- uh, uh, repression that people have, you know it is basically just the the daily corruption of you know the traffic police, the the, the cop on the street, the daily corruption in the educational system. Which all sort of, you know, it, it all, um, you know, it's a sign of sort of the degradation of the, of the state. Um, and uh, there's really been no effort to sort of deal with that. Um, and, you know, I, I think on the, the, the repression of, of Uzbek society, I mean, I said one, I mean, it's a society that lives on rumors. It, it does not live on, on decent, uh, you know, information. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in many cases, uh, having, um, you know, information and, and having people know, you know, what is going on, um, particularly in a time of transition, is better than, than wild speculation and rumors. So I think, you know, it, 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 it has, um, um, uh, it, it's been a problem. Um, I think it has um, uh, prob- pros- uh, probably pushes sort of dissent underground, um, and it also pushes people who are, you know, some of the best and brightest, those, you know, prone to dissent, you know, will, will if they have the, the means, they will pick up and they'll go. Elsewhere, Kazakhstan to 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 the west to, to Russia, uh, so I think it does deprive you know the state of some of its of its best and brightest, uh, and sort of I think the sort of the, the combination of, of repression and high levels of corruption in daily life, um, you know, really uh, it uh, you know it lowers the standard of living and, and makes life you know uh, uh, difficult for many people. Now you already mentioned the kind of uh, the role that. Uh, surrounding state instability and surrounding states have played in kind of the policies of the Karimov government. And of course, he uses the specter of Islamic radicalism as a means to, to kind of crack down on civil society. Um, what what place does Islam play in Uzbek society? Because you already mentioned this kind of secularis, secularism amongst the government. So what role does Islam play in general? And then how does this play in politics well, you know, um, uh, if you ask uh, any Uzbek, you know, if they're Muslim or not, uh, pretty much the universal answer is is they are. I mean, uh, sort of uh, uh, Islam and uh, the nation have sort of been sort of uh, 
you know, merged together. So it becomes an important symbol of, of national identity. And sort of they celebrate it uh, to, you know, uh, Islamic traditions, but they are become more national traditions than, than you know, strictly Islamic ones. Uh, there is, you know, an effort, there is sort of official Islam, there are sanctioned, um, you know, imams, um, and there is sort of an effort to try and, and um, you know, weave um, a sort of state-sanctioned uh, uh, version of of, uh, of of Islam, um, and you know, definitely, you know, you'll see sort of you know the roles of women um, are you know not necessarily the same roles of women that if you go to Russia, you know, they might they might play. It's more traditional in the home, um, and you know, women uh, traditionally even in the Soviet era were you know in some ways the ones who passed on um, on religion. Um, and you know, I would say that that you know, um, uh, you know, a lot of this sort of secularism it comes from the Soviet era, and, and I and I think we you know we shouldn't think that this was unique. I mean, the Soviet Union, which is one of many states in the 20th century that were trying to push uh, secularism, Turkey did it, um, Iran did it before the, uh, the the revolution. So it's part of a uh, you know part of a, a larger trend, and we sort of see you know a rebirth of 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 um, uh, religion. Um, and the role of religion in in Turkey, we're not sort of seeing that happen in um, in uh, in Uzbekistan. It's still um, uh, it, it's something that the political elite they don't really. I mean, they're very Soviet former you know Communist Party people. They don't quite understand it. They will sort of use it as a political tool, try to shape it um, through state sponsored um, Islam. Uh, but anything that sort of def- you know veers away from that is um, is repressed uh, and it is sort of pushed underground so um, uh, we don't get a huge sense of, of um, uh, you know uh, you know the the extent of, of dissatisfaction um, uh, uh, there so you know it doesn't play a huge role um, in political um, uh, uh, you know in political life. Um, but it, you know, it does pop up every once in a while. I mean, uh, the one way that it does, uh, it does play a role, I think, um, is, as I said, the, you know, the, the, a lot of the social safety net has collapsed in uh, Uzbekistan. Uh, a lot of large, you know, parts of large amount of corruption, and so you've had some, you know, some sort of charitable, you know, societies and and you know uh, through. Uh, mosques and things you have you know, people stepping in to sort of you know help out on um, you know medical bills help out in, in different charitable ways you know and this is some of the the tragedy of what happened in Andijan is that you know there there you know it was you know a group um, you know of, of businessmen who were sort of trying to do some of this type type of uh, type of work and it was seen as a as a threat to the state uh, and so it was it was violently um, uh, uh, repressed with, um, you know, uh, I think the, the Uzbek government says it's about 200 people who, who were, 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 uh, were killed. I think the highest, uh, number I've seen is about 1500. Um, and so, and that came, I think from a, a, a dissenter or somebody who, who left the Uzbek government. So, um, you know, so it, you know, that is a huge tragedy. It had repercussions, you know, in the long term. Um, I think it sort of quieted um, uh, uh, civil society uh, down. Whoever was still operating was, was sort of, you know, cowed into, into, into silence. 
Um, and we do see, you know, in this last election, um, you know, there were some very brave people who spoke out against Karimov's election, against the decision to sort of reinterpret, change and reinterpret the Constitution. He was barred from running for more than two terms, but they reinterpreted the Constitution. They changed the length of the terms. So each one became, uh, a, you know, the, the first term. Uh, and there was, you know, there was, uh, you know, people who spoke out against it and they were, you know, disappeared from the streets, uh, reportedly ended up in a, uh, in a mental institution, very similar to the old Soviet, Soviet style, um, a way of dealing with, uh, with the centers. There's, there's, there is, you know, so that's not necessarily, um, uh, Islam, but, you know, it, it does play, you know, the, the role for civil society, the role for Islamic civil society, um, is, is vastly, um, uh, curtailed. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the, the most prominent, um, uh, uh, religious scholar who had a difficult time in, in the 1990s with the government, um, but sort of came to uh, an accommodation. Who was not? Who was moderate? Uh, he passed away um, uh, last month, and you know, there were you know thousands, possibly up to tens of thousands of people who came out into the street uh, in uh, in Tashkent, which I'm sure scared the security services to death. Um, uh, but, uh, and it does show that, you know, uh, there is, you know, people looking for, for, you know, a figure of authority. Um, and, uh, this man was one of them, uh, was that, uh, that authority. And, and so, you know, it does pop up, uh, every once in a while, um, uh, and, you know, the, the, you know, I think that, you know, they, they couldn't do anything about it because, you know, when there's 10 people where there's 200 people, or there's a thousand people, you can, you can, you know, put, you know, um, you can deal with security services can deal with that one way or the other, but when, you know, you get more than, you know, several thousand, then, you know, that's not going to happen. Uh, and so you just let it, let it, let it, let it out. Let the steam out. In, in a lot of ways. Um, now let's talk about uh, Uzbekistan's kind of relationship with the wider world. Uh, first, uh, it's the Obama administration uh, lifted the ban on giving military aid to Uzbekistan in 2012. And uh, just yesterday, I, I read that uh, there seems to be an attempt to kind of focus on counterterrorism in uh, Central Asia on the part of the U.S. government. What is, and, and Uzbekistan has played a role in, in the United States war in Afghanistan as, as being having a, a basis there for, for uh, the use of the Air Force. What is the United States relationship with Uzbekistan? It's, it's been an up and down relationship, I think, since the start of, uh, of um, you know, the first uh, uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush administration that the, uh, when the Soviet Union was, was collapsing and, and these new states were, were, um, were there. I think the, the, you know, the first policymakers in, in the United States, um, uh, Secretary of State Baker and others, you know, were, were you know, very nervous about Islam, um, Iranian influence more than anything else you know, coming into the region. Uh, and really, you know, um, not quite understanding that the sort of the the way in which uh, Central Asia had changed under the under the Soviet era, um, the sort of attractability of that sort of uh, discourse, particularly the, given the differences between um, uh, Sunnis and Shiites. So I think you know that was the first you know our stumble, our first stumble, uh, and then you know for the for the Clinton administration, I mean it it, it clearly was. Um, you know, they they said it was a priority, um, uh, and um, in, in some ways, you know, they they gave some assistance to it, but it really wasn't an area we were focused in on. We pretty much had had after the collapse, um, or after the the Soviets pulled out of uh, Afghanistan, we couldn't care less about Central Asia or South Asia, uh, and we really didn't focus on the region until um, uh, until September 11th. So for for most of the 1990s, it was a period of neglect. 
Um, uh, this was a time when the sort of the human rights and sort of the political trajectory was was getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and we, you know, we were present, but not, not really engaged. Uh, then after September 11th, uh, you are right. We, uh, Uzbekistan hosted a, 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 a an air base for us. That was key in, in sort of bringing things into, um, and also for the Germans, uh, into, um, and out of, uh, Afghanistan that lasted until the, um, uh, until the Andijan massacre um, and our sort of decision to really step up our, our discussion of human rights, we had sort of ignored that, uh, you know, for the first bit of the Afghan again war. Um, and then, um, so then they cooled uh, very well. I mean, it was kind of interesting. I was uh, a, a graduate student in uh, Uzbekistan uh, during September 11th, um, and I went from being, you know, uh, a nobody to all of a sudden being. Um, very famous on the streets because every single archive and every single institution I was engaged with was, you know, wanted to show that they were cooperating with Americans. Um, and then, um, so it was great time for me I, in my dissertation research. I had archives open that, that probably wouldn't have been open before, and they certainly haven't been open after. Um, uh, and then a lot of that sort of, you know, openness towards the West, it, it started to sort of, um, uh, uh, as people you know, focused attention, particularly after Andijan, it, it sort of closed up again. Um, and then um, uh, when, uh, and that's sort of how it was for a, uh, for a few years. And then when uh, the United States uh, and sort of the, the NATO coalition had difficulty bringing supplies in through uh, Pakistan, we then started looking at what was called the Northern Defense um, uh, Network, NDN, uh, to bring in um, military supplies uh, through Russia, through the Caucasus, and through Central Asia. Um, and we started doing that again, uh, you know, renewing a relationship uh, with um, uh, on, on some of that. And then as we're sort of pulling out, uh, uh, again, you know, we're pulling out, we're sort of disengaging from the region, but we're doing it at a time when uh, people like Karimov, people like Nazarbayev, they're very nervous about, you know, Russian intentions in the region. So, um, uh uh, so I think this, you know, provides an opportunity for the United States to sort of figure out how we can, how we can engage, how we can, you know, both, you know, engage on political and security, um, uh, structures, but also, you know, I, I, you know, I, I hope also I would figure out a way to do it on, on some human rights issues, particularly as we have a new, you know, when there's a new, um, uh, uh, person sitting in, um, in the government in, in Uzbekistan. Um, so, you know, I think, um, uh, uh, that uh, you know this sort of delivery of of um, of uh, this equipment uh, and this decision to sort of increase counterterrorism cooperation. I mean, I think you know uh, Uzbekistan, whether we like it or not, is going to be playing a role in the region. It is has the most capable security services, has probably the most capable intel services, and it, you know, has the most capable military. And so um, uh, we are leaving, uh, 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 drawing down significantly, and, uh, you know, we are hoping that Uzbekistan will, will be able to sort of provide some of the security um, uh, uh, that the region needs that, that you know, that we're not going to be giving. And so I think that is, you know, a combination of, of you know, we need, we need Uzbekistan for that, um, and Uzbekistan now needs us because they are uh, a little bit concerned about, um, you know, Russian intentions. I mean, I don't think, um, you know, Uz Uzbekistan is, is going to be on the front lines of any sort of Russian aggression. I mean, it's more Kazakhstan that needs to worry about it, Belarus that needs to worry about it. Um, you know, another aspect of, of um, the post-Soviet uh, history of Uzbekistan is the gradual out-migration of Russians. Um, I think that's, you know, 
three to five percent of the population left is is Russian. Um, but you know they are um, you know and if you look at at the OSCE report on on the election, you will notice that you know they are very smart. They they sort of win favors with both the West by you know providing ballots in all languages, even though there's such a small population of Russian speakers. Uh, they could get their their educational and, and ballot, ballot material in in Russian, um, and then it also you know provides protection. You know it shows that 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 Uzbekistan is not discriminating against. Speaker, so it's you know it was a, a you know and, and this is the type of thing that I think Karimov is very smart at. He's, he's very smart at at trying to sort of figure out how he can uh, develop uh, and protect himself with with you know relations with all the big big players and you know by you know making sure that ballots were provided in Russian. You know you you appease the West that's concerned about minority rights and then you appease the Russians that are that you know is, show, is flexing their muscle in the defense of of ethnic Russians. Um, uh, uh, outside of, of of Russia in the former Soviet space, so you know I think you know he's he's very clever in in some of the ways in which he's sort of been able to balance. And finally, um, the other player in all of this is, of course, China. And in the article that you recently pub- published, um, you had a chart that showed that the trade with China has just skyrocketed in the last couple of years. What is Uzbekistan's re- growing relationship with China? I mean, it is. Um, uh, uh, they are. I mean, this is the the interesting thing. I mean, relations with the U.S. and and Russia have have you know become very um, problematic over the past year, and and they have long been a friction point. Has been you know uh, the United States presence and, and activity in in uh, Central Asia. Um, but I think if you look at that chart, where um, I think the tr- total trade trade flows for the United States was um, about five hundred million and. Um, uh, for China, it's you know almost 50, 50 million. Um, uh, if I'm reading that right, without my glasses, but that's that's it's huge the the, the discrepancy, um, and it's you know uh, several times greater than than what Russia has. So you know while Russia has been focusing in on on sort of you know Western encroachments into Central Asia and the Western presence in Central Asia, you know China has really uh, increased its economic presence um, in in Central Asia, signing deals, gas deals, the gas that comes from Turkmenistan uh, goes through Uzbekistan, um, and, uh, you know, various, you know, minerals and, and, um, uh, and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, uh, if you people back in the 1990s thought that, you know, Central Asian trade with Turkey was going to sort of be huge, uh, really a lot of what comes in to Central Asia um, comes in from China, it also comes in from, from Iran. The sort of cultural and religious ties aren't strong with Iran, but but the economic ones uh, are definitely are definitely there. So, you know, um, it is a um, uh, uh, you know Russia um, should probably be watching to, to you know at, at what China is doing. Um, China has ambitions. The United States had a Silk Road ambition. China has Silk Road ambitions. My guess is the Chinese will be much more successful at, at realizing it than we are. We sort of did it, you know, not not with. Um, uh, uh, we wanted this more than the Central Asian leaders wanted it, uh, but we weren't really willing to invest the money uh, to to sort of convince them to do it. Something tells me the Chinese probably will, uh, and um, and so you know I think China's role in the region uh, is just going to grow. China also has security um, uh, concerns. You know it has Xinjiang and and the, it, it, you know concerns over uh, uh, the Uyghurs. They treat their you know um, Turkic Muslim populations you know very similar to the way in which you know Karimov tries to. Um, uh, treat these, uh, you know, the, 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 any sort of political opposition, it's, it's highly repressive. Um, and so there's also, you know, there's, there's synergies there that, that, that I'm sure the Chinese and that the Uzbeks will, will, um, uh, 
uh, take advantage of it. You know, another thing that I think is also interesting, in addition, I mean, we've been talking about the United States, Russia, and China. In the article, I didn't talk about this, but because, you know, but it does look like there is some sort of deal uh, going to happen um, with the international community and Iran, and I think that could be a game changer, um, you know, for the Caucasus and Central Asia. I mean, it's it's all. You know, uh, these countries, you know, are very, you know, clear that, oh, they, they only deal with Iran when they have to. Uh, but if, you know, sanctions come down and, and Iran is not the pariah that it, that it is, you know, Iranian, um, at least political, political and economic influence, I'm still not sure about the cultural influence, um, you know, could definitely grow in this region. And so I think that's another, um, another player that, that moving forward that we should, uh, we should be uh, uh, watching. That was Paul Stronsky. Senior Associate in Carnegie's Russia and Eurasia program and author of Tashkent, Forging a Soviet City, 1930-1966. I'm Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and follow me on Twitter, at Sean's Russia Blog. Until next week, bye. Моя Морозечка, моя ты куколка, моя Морозечка, моя ты душенька, моя Морозечка, а жить-то хочется, я весь горю тебя, молю, будь моей женой.